You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. We'll be reading from Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20 this morning. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and with the hired servants and followed him. This is God's word. Good morning and hello to everyone joining us today for home worship. We continue in our teaching series through the Gospel of Mark, which we're calling Jesus Says, where we're looking intently at the words of Christ during his public ministry. And in our passage today, we see Jesus choosing his first disciples, his first followers. And he says to them, follow me. And immediately they did. Simon, who is Peter, his brother Andrew, James and John, the first four disciples of Jesus, follow him. And this call, follow me, it's simple enough, but it changes the world. It changes the life of these men and it changes our world. You know, I was a student for 23 years in school and not once can I remember when a te- ever a teacher coming up to me and saying to me, I want you to be in my class, will you consider taking my class? I even rem- remember in college when it was open enrollment for new classes, All the students would be in this mad dash to try to enroll in the class to make sure they got in because space was limited. And if you didn't act quick enough, you wouldn't be in the class. Students always chose their teachers. That's just the way it is, and that's the way that it has always been. That's how it was even in early first century Judaism. Pupils would seek out a rabbi. They would seek out a philosopher or a prophet or a sage, and they would say, I want to follow you, I want to learn from you, teach me your ways. Rabbis didn't choose their students, that's just not what they did. So Jesus' call is a powerful thing. If you're a Christian today, you're a Christian because Jesus has called you. Jesus, right away, one of the first times that he speaks in his ministry, he's letting us know how a person and every person becomes a Christian. We become Christians because Jesus has called us. No one becomes a Christian without Jesus calling them. There's so much authority in this call. There's so much power. There's so much in here that it changes their lives and changes it forever. So I want to look deeper today at this call to follow Jesus. And in our passage today, we learn a few things. We learn that this call from Jesus is unexpected. It is disruptive and it's a constant movement of trust. Why don't we start first with it is unexpected. It is a kind of call that's different from every other call that we will ever hear in our life. We've already mentioned how teachers didn't normally call their students, students called their teachers, but there's a couple other uncommon and unexpected things in this passage right here in the passage. First, this strange phrase that Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What does it mean to fish people? 
It means to participate in the calling of people into the kingdom of God. It means the calling of people into salvation, to rescue people from their sins. And by calling his disciples to follow him, he is demonstrating his authority over sin, his authority uh, and ability to call people into the kingdom of God, not only to give God's blessing to people, but to invite people into participating in the mission of God that will have lasting impact in the world and lasting impact in our lives. Jesus is saying, follow me and I will give you direct involvement in the mission of God, the direct involvement into changing lives. And this would be stunning. This is a radical call from Jesus. Imagine if Michelangelo invites you to pick up a paintbrush and help him paint the Sistine Chapel or invited or someone invites you to the United Nations to be a part of talks about world peace or, or Tim Cook inviting you over to Apple to design the new iPhone. I mean, these are just unexpected things that people would involve us in. But by saying these words, Jesus is communicating that he has plans with these small, the small group of men to send them out to pursue the same kingdom calling to which Jesus himself has been called. To follow Jesus is to take an active part in his mission. And this is unexpected. It is, but it is the reality of every follower of Jesus. Another unexpected phrase that we find right here is the phrase itself, follow me. Naturally, after a disciple or a student or a follower would choose a rabbi, they would say something like this. The rabbi would say something like this. Come, be with me, learn from me, do as I do and learn how to live like I live. But Jesus doesn't say that. His version is quite strange. He doesn't say follow God or follow the Torah or follow the law of God. He says, follow me. Jesus is inviting his followers to leave their life as they knew it and to give total allegiance, not to a way of life, but total allegiance to him as the way of life, complete devotion to Jesus. And no rabbi would say this. Fewer phrases spoken by Jesus express what it means to be a Christian than the phrase, follow me. Loyalty to God, pursuit of God, devotion to God is expressed in our loyalty to Jesus. And this would be unexpected and shocking to the ears of the earliest disciples that in order to honor God is to leave everything and follow this man. The call of Jesus is unexpected. It's also disrupted, disruptive. It changes our life. It stops us in our tracks. It calls us to, to leave everything as we know it. Some may look at this passage and see what, what these men gave up in order to sacrifice, in order to follow Jesus. They left their families. They left their possessions. They left their, their careers and their job right there on the spot. But it's not entirely true to focus on it in that way. We know they went back to their jobs. We know that these fishermen continued to be fishermen. Uh, we know they maintained this, this career. And they, we also know that they continue to have relationship with their family. But this language, it still describes the disruptive nature of following Jesus. Remember how the story goes. Look here in verse 18. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James and John who were 
in their boat, mending the nets, and immediately called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. They left, they left everything. They left their working in the midst of a project, mending their nets in order to cast it out again, and they leave. They leave their father who's just hanging out in the boat with some of the other workers, and they leave. And it's interesting that Mark highlights here a couple pretty dominant places where we normally get our identity. Family and our career. If I said to you, you must prioritize your relationship with Jesus over your family. Some of you might say, done, no problem. Where do I, where do I sign? But some of you might have been born into a culture or into a family where there's no greater identity in your whole life than a family. I mean, blood is thicker than water, right? This is, you have this group of people where, who you would do anything for. And there's not a single thing in, in life, not a single attachment that is more important than family. Well, consider if I said this, you must prioritize your relationship with Jesus over your career. Maybe for some of you, that might hit a bigger nerve than family. You might not have as strong of family ties as some other people, but your career is what shapes you. It's where you pour in your, your hard work, your affection, your identity. You, 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 you are the person you are because of your job. You see, in a way, this ancient culture wasn't much different than our culture because every culture, no matter what time period or, or place in our world, we have similar things in common. Every culture points to certain things in order to say, if you get this, then you've made it. If you get this, then you are valuable. Every culture aims to define what it means to truly be valuable. And the values change, but our culture places value on performance and accomplishment. And it is here where Jesus is so disruptive to this way of life. Jesus says, knowing me, following me is going to be different than knowing and following anything else in your life. At pursuing me, I must take priority over every other affection every other attachment that you have in life. And if we attempt to follow Jesus, if we attempt to be a Christian in our life by embracing the performance-based or accomplished-based values of our culture, then we will always put conditions on following Jesus. Let me slow down and listen to that again. If we attempt to follow Jesus or to be a Christian while embracing the performance-based and accomplished-based values of our culture, we will always put conditions on following Jesus. And those conditions of following Jesus sound like this. I will obey you, Jesus, if. I will obey you if it doesn't make me look like much of an outsider. I will obey you if it doesn't hurt my career goals or chances. I will, obey, I will obey you, Jesus, if it doesn't prove too costly. I will obey you if it doesn't get between me, my family, my marriage, my social life, my recreation, my dreams, whatever it is. I will obey you, Jesus, if, you, if I never have to stop being myself. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? I couldn't stop thinking this past week about how pastor and author Tim Keller explains it. He says, to follow Jesus means to follow Jesus so fully, so intensely, so enduringly that all other attachments in your life look like hate in comparison. I mean, what a statement. Of course, we are not meant to hate our job, hate our family, or hate our wealth. Jesus even says so much. We're even supposed to not even hate our own enemies. 
But in comparison to the attachments to Christ, we should hate those things. Jesus says that. He says, if we desire to be disciples of him, we must hate our father, our mother, our very life. He's speaking comparatively. Everything, every attachment in our life must come so far distant second that it would look like we hate those things. It is so disruptive to our lives and the values of our culture that says we are somebody if we perform, if we accomplish. Following Jesus is so disruptive most of the time. Even our good attempts, we don't realize even our good attempts are really seeking after performance and accomplished-based living with Jesus. How do we act if we fail, if we sin, if we're caught in a failure? Well, we, we, what do we do? We go to church. We change our behavior. We say that we're sorry. We attempt to be a better person. We turn over a new leaf. We start a new chapter in our life. We want to become decent people. And we say, I don't want to be that kind of person anymore. I want to be a different kind of person. And then we go about our life becoming new people. We feel good about ourselves. We even feel that God loves us and forgives us more. That we are somehow now in the graces of God more than we were before. But what has happened is the only thing we've done is we've traded one performance that has been incapable of, of getting favor with God and, and receiving another performance that is still not sufficient to get God's favor. Following Jesus is a entirely different way. It is not one performance or another. It is to lose our identity completely, that we are important and of value and of use to God based on our performance and, tr- and putting on a new identity that is shaped and secure in the performance of Jesus alone. This is the good news. This is why they call it the gospel. The good news that God became a man and willingly substituted his performance for ours. He took our performance on the cross. He took our performance, which is lacking and evil and wicked. It is sinful. He takes our sin and we take his righteousness. We take his performance It's this great exchange. He rescues us from our sin by going to the cross to die in our place. You may may be inspired to know that Jesus has called you into relationship with him. You may be even grateful and even feel undeserving that he has called you into relationship with him. But you will never truly grasp the meaning of following Jesus until you know this Simple and important fact. The call of Jesus is a call to grace, not a call to performance. There's nothing more agonizing than thinking that Jesus has called us into a relationship with him in order to perform for him. But a relationship with Jesus based on his performance rather than our performance Well, that will lead us to life. That will bring such comfort, such peace, such rest in the good news. But we'll be constantly on edge. We'll constantly be looking over our shoulder. We'll constantly be waiting for God to just be done with us. If we believe that Jesus has called us into a relationship with him based on how we perform. And this makes following Jesus utterly different than following anything else. And anyone else in all the world. 
And it leads us to this final aspect of what his call is like. His fi- the finally, the call of Jesus, it is a constant movement of trust. Trusting that his performance for us is good enough. Why is Jesus' call to follow him a constant movement of trust? Well, for one, think of the disciples. They had no idea where Jesus was calling them. They had no idea what he was calling them into. He said, follow me immediately. They left everything. They left their parents. They left their family and their career, and they followed him. Probably even wondering to one another and speaking to one another, do you know where we're going? Do you know where we're going? I don't know where he's taking us, but we're going to follow him. I imagine they assumed that they were on a great journey. Who wouldn't want to follow a man like Jesus with great confidence, with great authority, with great promise to invite them into the work of God, speaking with such certainty, going against the grain of of the the rabbi and uh, disciple relationship, choosing them. They must have felt flattered, encouraged, excited. Everyone who answers the call to follow Jesus has no idea where he's taking them. Every person who responds to the call following Jesus has no idea what circumstances he will lead us into. And in these few lines of scripture, we have one of the most famous acts of obedience in all the Bible. And yet Jesus says to them, follow me. As you walk about your life and as I take you on this journey, don't turn to the right, don't turn to the left. Follow me. Trust in where I'm taking you. When the bottom falls out of your life, out of your work, out of your marriage, out of your own health, out of your culture and world as you know it, continue to follow me. He says, I'm going to take you places, places that will utterly disappoint you. I will take you places and there will be times in your life and in your heart where you grumble and say, why are you taking me this way? That just means we're asking God, have you ever asked God, why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? It is there where he says, trust in me. Follow me. When we begin to follow Jesus, we think it'll go from, you know, maybe he finds us in a bad place and we think it'll go from bad to good to great to glory. And we think it'll go there all in a straight line. But the growth in our life is not straight line. It's zigzag. It's we get off the path. We put one foot off the path. And, and when that happens, when we, when we change course, when he leads us into times of, of, of injustice and disappointment, pain, sorrow, and eventually when he leads us into death, we will be tempted to trust in the things that we trusted in before, the people that we once went to that can offer that quick and immediate comfort that can assure us that we are going to be okay and life is going to be okay. But those things can never deliver. They can never fulfill on their promises to give us the life that we desire. But even in those times, Jesus is calling us to trust in him. He's calling us to follow him. Following Jesus is a constant movement of trust because he's constantly calling us to follow him without telling us exactly where he's leading us. He doesn't tell us to to figure out where he's leading us or figure out how things uh, will happen tomorrow. But he does tell us where he's been and he tells us where he is going. His journey led to the cross where he was crushed for our sins so that we would be embraced by God's loving care. 
You know, we're just starting out this series, chapter 1 in the Gospel of Mark, but I want to tell you where it finishes off in chapter 16 of the Gospel of Mark. I want to tell you the end. You likely know how the story ends in the Gospel stories. Jesus dies. He's in the grave for three days. He raises from the grave. Mark tells us something unique that none of the other Gospel um, writers tell us. Mark tells us that Jesus, he, go, he dies, he raises from the grave, he, he meets with Mary Magdalene, and he tells them, go tell my disciples to meet me in Galilee. And there, I will tell them to follow me once more. They meet him in Galilee, and he calls them to a renewed sense of following him, a renewed sense of being invited into the Great Commission, into proclaiming the gospel, into going into the world, just as Jesus was, was brought into the world, to serve, to be a servant. Jesus calls his disciples in Galilee, and they have no idea where he will take them next. You see here in chapter 1, he meets them in Galilee. He calls them to follow him. And then he leads them along this journey that is confusing, devastating, that ends with everyone betraying him, him being alone, and him being killed and crucified on the cross. They are left scattered. And he brings them back to Galilee once more at the end to where it all started and says, follow me with fresh eyes. This is how Jesus works. He calls us to follow him. He calls us to trust in him, even in the midst of ongoing disappointment and confusion and pain. He assures us that he will never leave us or forsake us. He delivers on his promises always, and he calls us every day to follow him with fresh eyes and a new sense of faith. Consider, where were you when you first heard that call? Where were you when Jesus said, follow me, and you responded to it, to him? Did you have it all together? I'm sure you didn't. Where are you now? Where are you now where he continues to invite you to, call, to follow him? Do you have all the right beliefs? Do you have all the right character? I'm sure you don't. Is Jesus calling you to follow him today? Whether you, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you've never responded to that call. Maybe you're realizing that, that there are so many attachments that you have that shape who you are, that are greater than, than, the thing, than, than what Jesus aims to do with you. You have placed so many other things in priority over his call to follow him, to devote your whole life. Maybe this is the day where you respond to his call. You follow him not knowing where he's taking you. Maybe you're a Christian, but you feel maybe you've got one road, one foot on that path, on that road following him, and one foot off just in case. I would say that you've never really truly followed him. What does it really mean to follow Jesus? Well, it means that he's telling you that he is the life that you've been looking for. He's telling you that he's the love that you've always desired, the security and strength and the joy. He's telling you that he's the good news. He is your comfort. He is your hope. And he's all of these things. And yet he still humbled himself and died on the cross for you because he loves you. Even when you failed to perform and to be all the things that he's asked you to be. And he's calling you still to trust in him. Will you follow? 
Will you devote your life to him? Will you put off the old self, which rested and trusted in your ability to perform? And will you trade that for the new life based on Jesus' performance for you? Follow him. You'll never regret it.